Any text out of context is pretext. It's important that we always remember the context under which the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, this epistle, that we now call the book of Colossians. While he was under house arrest in Rome, he wrote this letter to the new converts who were in this city of Colossae. And while today we're going to focus on five verses from this letter, it's really important that we put it in context. We don't just want to take verses out of the letter and look at them without looking at the big picture. These Colossian converts were now all in for Jesus. The supernatural had occurred. The miraculous had occurred. They were no longer estranged to God, no longer enemies with God. They had now a right relationship with God, made possible only by and through their faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, by his death on the cross, he reconciled humanity and made a way for the right relationship with God to be restored to all believers. Now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, they can enjoy eternity with their creator. This letter convinces, confirms, comforts, and it cautions regarding right relationships, the context. In the epistle, Paul addresses right relationships between believers, that we should strive for peace with one another and for unity enabled by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Kenny DeMar preached about due to this right relationship with God, we now have a heavenly way of thinking. A heavenly mind for earthly living was the title of his sermon. Last week, Dr. Birchie, in his sermon, focused on the relationship between husband and wife and wife and husband and parents and children, and children and parents. And it provided many practical applications and cautions that we need to avoid in these very precious yet fragile relationships. This morning, in the passage we have the privilege of perusing, Paul again zeroes in on two other relationships, slaves and masters. I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, it will be on page 984. We're in Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves. I can't linger here, but the sin of slavery is recorded throughout the Old Testament. In our Bible, it documents many different forms of slavery, and whether it was a debt slave or the conquered and captured prisoner of war, slaves were at the lowest rung of the social status ladder. The Assyrians, as early as 772 BC, their policy of deportation and enslavement is well documented. 
The Babylonians defeated the Egyptians in 605 BC and Judah at that time became a tribute city to Babylon. But when the Babylonians suffered a defeat, the king, Jehoiakim, defected back to the Egyptians and Nebuchadnezzar raised a force to punish and destroy them, the Babylonian captivity. The Bible records the story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers. Slavery. Far too many pages of America's story are printed with the blood shed by the hideous and horrific history of slavery. Fueled by greed, lust, purient passions, this country's soul was plunged into the deepest and darkest depths of depravity and cruelty. Gratuitous acts of violence were accepted and tolerated and even promoted. As late as 1981, there was a lynching in Alabama. Let us be clear. Attitudes of superiority based on race, national origin, and sex have no place in the body of Christ. We are all We are all children of God, and our diversity, our differences, if you please, is a tribute to the magnificent creativity of our Lord and Savior and our God. How boring it would be if we all looked alike and sounded alike. But we aren't. He has made us different and created us that way, but all one and all his children. Oh, I wish I could stand here and tell you that the shadow that slavery cast on our contemporary life was just that, but no, the sin of slavery continues. According to the World Bank, there are over 40 million slaves today. Of that 40 million, 70% of them are women, and of that 70%, 40% are in India. And then there's the slavery of debt. Yes, in America, in Illinois, in Chicago, many people are shackled to debt. Slaves, in fact, to debt. Americans paid over $113 billion in credit card interest in 2018. That was up 12% from 2017. And we're currently on track to pay $122 billion in interest alone in 2019. Slaves to credit cards. For far too many Americans, before their feet hit the floor in the morning, they must go to work, not for necessities and not for the luxuries of life, but to pay the 27, 28, 30% interest on their credit cards. They are in fact now slaves to debt. You should not be surprised. Why do you think they call it MasterCard?
The genius of the Bible is reflected in the fact that while the Bible doesn't condone or condemn slavery, it acknowledges the existence of the relationship in the culture. And here's the genius. Had Paul's message been about revolt, it would have obscured the message of the gospel. If he'd been talking about revolting, the gospel message of how Jesus saves would have been lost. And so the message of the gospel of Jesus is able to permeate into every aspect of the culture without a political agenda. We should speak out to promote justice and we should speak out to promote honesty and morality in our government and in our country, but beloved, that concern must never replace the mandate that we have to go into the world and to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Change comes to a society not by its statutes, but by hearts transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul wasn't indifferent to slavery. In fact, while he was imprisoned, he wrote three letters, Colossians, the book to Ephesians, Philemon. And in Philemon, you can read about his attitude and heart about slavery as he encourages Philemon to accept Onesimus, the, the runaway slave, as a brother in the Lord. In fact, it was the runaway slave who was one of the men who carried this letter back to the city of Colossae. In 1 Corinthians, Paul even encouraged slaves to obtain freedom whenever it was possible. But in this passage today, we have this word, bondservant, doulos. It means slave or servant, a person under the command or obligation of another. When Paul wrote this letter, slavery was a well-established institution in Rome. Most commentators suggest that there are approximately six million people at this time that were slaves. Now, they were well-educated. Oftentimes, they were extremely well taken care of. They carried great responsibility within the homes. They were loved in many instances and oftentimes even buried with their masters. They helped educate the children and even provided discipline for them. Very different in large measure from America's history. In the context that we place it in today, the closest thing that we can come to to this master-slave relationship that Paul is pointing to would be the employer-employee relationship. As an employee, we contract with the employer to perform tasks and duties and responsibility for wages. So here now, Paul presents five duties that those of us who are now in a right relationship with God should have this right relationship between our employer as the employee or the doulos, the bondservant. Look again, if you would, please, at the text. Duty number one, obedience. Bondservants, obey in everything your earthly masters. 
Now you would think that would be axiomatic. Someone is paying you to do a job, you would think you would simply do it. But that simply is not the case. And whether it's issues of anger or apathy or an argumentative spirit or whether people are just lazy, this command is as cogent today as it was when issued when Paul penned this letter. What he is telling us is for the believer, we have the duty to obey the lawful and honest directives from our employer. Simply do what you're told would be a way to paraphrase it. How interesting. In Illinois, if someone loses a job and they want to apply for unemployment compensation, there are things that will disqualify you from receiving it. Acts of gross misconduct. Well, you say, well, what are acts of gross misconduct? Fighting, alcohol and drugs on company property, theft, and insubordination. Not obeying a lawful directive, an honest directive, from your employer is considered gross misconduct under the Illinois statute, and we are reminded of that here. Now, a healthy work environment is always going to solicit and, in fact, encourage input from its employees. There is a time and a place for suggestions, for input, and for feedback, and a good, healthy work environment will cultivate that. But what he is saying here is that obey. Obey what you are told to do. Obey. Don't take advantage because your employer may also be a believer. That doesn't give you an excuse not to follow the rules, not to follow the directives. Obey to please God, not avoid punishment. Obey and not argue. And obey in all things. How interesting. The enjoyable things and the not so enjoyable things. I don't know if I were going to ask you. I mean, every job has parts of it that we like and, and that we prefer. But if the best part of your job is lunch, I mean, I'm going to move on. Number two, <laughs> integrity. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Number two duty, integrity. Beloved, we have a crisis in America, a crisis of integrity in America. And we have a crisis of integrity in the American workplace. Oftentimes our companies, employees, and employers alike are motivated more by what's good for business to make money without any consideration as to whether or not it's the right thing to do. In America, the highest percentage of shrink, loss, in retail stores is due directly to employee theft. Workplace crimes cost America's businesses approximately $50 billion last year. And it's not just theft and embezzlement issues. 
Look at the text. Implied here is that this employee is only going to do the bare minimum. And if somebody's not watching them, they're not even going to do that. The only time they're productive is if somebody is watching them. This is what he's implying. Excessive breaks. Hmm. Killing time at the job. As if you could kill time without injuring eternity, is what Thoreau said. Long lunches. Waste of supplies. Time on the cell phone on non business matters. Why is this important? 1 Timothy 6.1 says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Every person is important to God. God's honor, however, should be the highest priority for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying to them and he's saying to us is that Paul wanted there to be no excuse for people to reject the gospel based on the negative actions of Christians. If that's how Christians act, always taking time off, always taking long breaks, always being argumentative, then I don't think I want any more of them in here. In fact, I don't want to know anything else about Christians. This is the point that he's making. That when we go to work, we go under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, representing him. It's been said that character is the person you are when nobody else is looking. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ shouldn't have to have people looking over their shoulder to make sure that they're on time, that they're not leaving early, that they are discharging their responsibilities to the best of their ability. Integrity. It is our duty, which brings us to three. Work as an act of worship. If we're going to be honest or fair to this discussion, most people work for one of three primary reasons. Earn a living, accumulate some money, or to be personally fulfilled. What this passage is telling us is that our work now has a far bigger purpose. That the way that we work allows us access into other people's lives so that we can encourage them to have a right relationship with God as well. Wow. Think about that for a minute. The reason that you have a job is so that you can show others the right relationship that you have with God in order to encourage them to have a right relationship with God and with others. 
The task may seem unimportant or even trivial, but the person who is doing the task is not unimportant and is never trivial. Beloved, you're a child of God, holy and set apart, ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven, ministers of reconciliation, sent into every occupation building throughout the city and the state. But you can't have this kind of change of attitude and be motivated by earthly rewards. Work as an act of worship. Number four, work for heavenly rewards. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Interesting phrase, the inheritance, literally a perfect recompense. Look at the irony here. He's talking about slaves, about bond servants, but on earth, bond servants, slaves can't receive an inheritance of property. So this inheritance is not here. This reward is not here. He's talking about the reward that we are going to receive from our true master in heaven. Nowhere else does Paul use the titles Lord and Christ to stand together without the Jesus as well. And so the paraphrase here would be, so the work for the true master, you work for Christ. He is imploring us to not work for earthly rewards, but for our true master, Christ. Five. He changes gears, talks to the masters for a moment, and he says, masters, you gotta be fair, you gotta be honest, you have to be just. Huh. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. This is both an encouragement and a warning, and it's very convicting. The guarantor of justice is God Almighty himself, and we're reminded here that nobody gets away with anything. The time will come when everyone will have to account for their acts, their deeds. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't like your job. You don't like what you do. You're not being paid enough. You're not appreciated. You're not being thanked. Maybe you don't like your boss. How do you change your attitude about work? You see it not as work, but as an act of worship. How do you change your attitude about your boss? Beloved, change your boss. You're not working for them, you're working for Jesus. 
The epistle certainly emphasizes the dignity of all human beings, right relationship with God. All throughout this letter, we see the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And because we have this right relationship with God and the preeminence of Christ in our life, then Christ is now the head of our homes. It is by the power of Christ and his authority that directs us in our daily life. When we have a right relationship with God, we can have a right relationship with each other. We can love each other. We can respect each other. We can submit each other. We can obey. We can treat one another fairly in the Lord. As my wife, Lamita, frequently reminds me, the heart of the problem is oftentimes a matter of the heart. If we are controlled by the word and by his spirit, yielding our will to be obedient, we're going to have a heart problem. If I can just talk to you plain for a minute. Far too many people want a savior. They want grace. They cry for mercy. They want blessings. They expect favor. They will take a savior, but they don't want a master. They don't want a Lord. Beloved, you can't bifurcate Jesus. No, I don't think you hear me. You see, Jesus is not your personal assistant. He's not your personal ATM. He's not one among the many options for you to consider. Jesus, Savior, yes, and so much more. He's Master and Messiah, and make no mistake about it, the undeniable, the undisputable King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Where are you today? Are you searching for success and significance independent of a right relationship with God? Perhaps you've been coasting at work. And why not? Everybody else has been coasting. Why should you kill yourself when nobody else is pulling their load? Is Jesus the Lord and master of your life? Jesus died on the cross so that we could live. His death, his burial, his resurrection makes it possible for you and for me to have a right relationship with God. Beloved, the right time to do the right thing is right here, right now. This is a hard message. It challenges our thoughts regarding our history. It challenges our thoughts regarding work. It mandates 
that we acquire a posture of submission and that we acknowledge that God has a plan for every aspect of our lives. Now, this is contrary to culture. Many people believe it's because of their education, their training, because of their discipline, that they have picked themselves up by their bootstraps and they have climbed the ladder of success rung by rung through the sheer force of their will. Don't be deceived, beloved. Every good thing comes from God and you have what you have only through God's grace. Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? We have wasted time today if you go back to your place of employment Monday without giving due credence to what we've heard today. All of our feet are made of clay. We can all do a better job in obedience and integrity, in treating it as an act of worship, and casting our eyes on things eternal and not being so consumed with the things that are here and now. For most Americans, they spend most of their time worrying about how they're gonna spend money they haven't made yet on things they don't need. Let today be the day that that changes for you. Look at your place of employment, where you have been placed by God's sovereignty as an act of worship. And whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing, you do now for the glory of God. If you're digging ditches, then you be the best ditch digger they've ever had. Legendary. If you're an administrative assistant, strive to be the best that they've ever had. Not to bring yourself glory, not to brag or to boast, but when people can say and look to you and say, boy, I really admire the way that you do your work, you say, well, praise God. It's God, you see, who's enabled me and equipped me. Praise God, it's God who's brought me this far. Praise God, it's God who encourages me and equips me. Praise God, he gives you access and opportunity, beloved, and what more could we ask for? Money promises so many things. Promises health but it can't prolong your days. It can buy food, but it can't give you an appetite. It can buy the most expensive bed on the planet when it won't give you rest or peace. These things are reserved to God and to God alone. Every head's bowed, every eye is closed. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to make their way up front now. What do you need this morning? Has your attitude about work been at odds with what we've learned today? Have you been apathetic and lazy? 
Have you been just doing the bare minimum just to get by? Why don't you repent? You confess that to God right where you are. Thank him for the job and ask him to give you another chance Monday to do better. Maybe you're a master. Have you been fair and honest, considerate, and sensitive to the needs of the people that are under your charge? If you haven't, repent. Turn from that. Confess that for the sin that it is. Perhaps you just haven't really given a whole lot of thought to Jesus. Certainly the things that we've talked about today, you can't do them without having the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're saved, and you cannot be saved without Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Will you trust him this morning? Will you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning? Our heart's desire, Father, is that we'll be all in for you, not holding anything back from you, that you are welcome in every corridor and closet of our hearts and of our minds, and that we take you with us wherever we go, to school, to the backyard barbecue, to the party, and yes, to work. I've said now, Father, what you would have me to say. Do now what only you can do. Encourage, enable, equip, Convict, call, save. We do pray in the matchless name of Jesus and amen.